CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome to episode 19 of Wannabe Walk-Ons, a Nebraska football and craft beer fan podcast and the official podcast of the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild. I'm Ben, and I'm lucky to be joined by my good friend and co-host, Drew. Thanks, Ben. Each episode, we will sample beers, both local and beyond, while sharing our unique brand of Husker Insight. We encourage you to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at Wannabe Walk-Ons for the most up-to-date show information. And please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform or stream each episode on wannabewalkons.com. New episodes drop during the Nebraska football season every Tuesday at 11 a.m. On this week's episode, Ben and I will satisfy our itch with Scratchdown Brewing in Ord, Nebraska, share our thoughts on the Wisconsin game, and preview Nebraska's matchup against the hated Iowa Hawkeyes. I'm Drew. And I'm Ben. And this is Wannabe Walk-Ons. So, Drew, to get started today, I have a question for you. Oh, okay. Is JoJo Doman a Nebraska legend? Dang, a legend? Yes. Has he reached the ranks of Nebraska football legend? I think no. I'm going to say no. Okay. Because Just because of the history that he's up against and sure. because of the teams that he played for. I think that those things hold him back. Okay. Or that the record holds him back. I think of this era, yeah, he's he's like one of the top top defenders. Sure. Sure. Do you think that when he gets a chance at the next level and the way that that might progress, would that influence then his rank as a Nebraska legend, as a guy that we hold up on that same tier then as guys who came before him? I think what it will probably end up doing is making us wonder what might have been sure. had he played on better Nebraska teams. Yeah. I think with some of the questions you asked like during the game where would JoJo have made that tackle and things of that nature that we were mm-hmm. texting back and forth, that kind of got me thinking of like this guy has reached a level where he is that what-if player, where he is that I could only imagine this guy fitting in with teams in the 90s or the 09 Nebraska squad that was just a monster defense. And so I was just kind of curious, like does this guy rank with the Levante Davids, the Indomitian Sues, the, you know, the guys of that lore that we, mm-hmm. we hold up to such a high standard? I personally do think that his play has gotten there. When you look at some of the single-handed performances, like what he did against Ohio State, you think, man, this guy single-handedly took over a team sport, but also elevated the rest of his team. So I think that's a just a fun thought that yeah kind of that's a fair rolling. question and, and that's something that's like man like I want to give it to him. Like, yeah. I want to say yeah this is a legend but again I think he's got some history that's working against him I think as time progresses and as we see this Chenander defense move into next season and hopefully future seasons 
that we might see how well JoJo played that nickel spot in this defense compared to other guys who are going to fill into that spot. I'm sure that there's great talent coming into that, that this defense is recruited very well, and we have a lot of future stars, I think, who haven't really even seen the field. But I think JoJo elevated that position and is leaving a very high mark on that. For sure. I think that I think that you'll, you'll we're going to probably end up chalking up a lot of the defensive success to him being here. Like, he was the right guy to be here to, while Chenander was implementing this defense. Yeah. Because without him, I, yeah, I don't, this defense just isn't as good. The other thing that I would, tick a mark for saying yes he is a legend when he injured his hand and doctors were like you really shouldn't play and then he went out and played two more games that to me is like legend status yeah you've got yeah. nothing left to prove and then you go out after doctors have told you trained medical professionals have said <laughs> we don't really think this is a great idea and you have the best game of your career with a hand that requires surgery not just a cast but like you need to go have someone repair this yes yeah okay well that that answers that question i disagree with your answer yeah that's fine um, we're, and we're, that, I, but we're gonna disagree you and i disagree things, on a few so. things here and there and that's okay so moving away from the izzy a legend conversation we're going to talk about some beer that we have in front of us and this is a beer that was recommended to us by our good friend and avid listener mr matt hi and matt it, hey matt it is Wonder Twins from Scratchtown Brewing Company in Ord, Nebraska. And I've got our profile right in front of me now to tell you guys about Scratchtown before we talk about this specific beer. Our Scratchtown Brewing Company profile begins with a man named Caleb Pollard. In the late aughts, Caleb had grown tired of spending hours in his car commuting to Omaha from Lincoln. He wanted a place to raise his family where his kids could have plenty of outdoor space to roam and play. It just so happened that Caleb was being heavily recruited by the Ord leaders to become Valley County's Economic Development Director. Ord was the escape Caleb needed, and with a great job secured for his wife Christina as well as himself, the Pollard family moved to a town of 2,000 people where they had no family and no friends. But the friends part didn't take long. Caleb found himself homebrewing on the occasional weekend and wondering if a town like Ord could support a craft brewery. On non-brewing weekends, Caleb would drive across the Valley County landscape with his new good friend and investor, Jade Stunkel. The pair explored the gorgeous rolling hills and scenery that Ord had to offer. They knew that this was the kind of place that people could visit to relax with a drink in your hand and good company at your side. Then, as if magic, Caleb's phone rang, and on the other end was the last piece of the puzzle, a brewer. Mike Klimek, who at the time had recently been laid off from Omaha's first national bank, was looking for financial industry work. Who better to call than Valley County's economic development director, Caleb Pollard? Oh, real quick. Drew, did you know that Mike Klimek was more than just a weekend brewer? That he was an award-winning home brewer? I didn't. Well, Caleb learned. And he told Mike, forget about banking and open a brewery. Caleb even offered to go in on it with him. Mike, and this is a quote from the Omaha World Herald, said, he found the nicest possible way to tell him he was fucking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> the article had parentheses bleeping, but I filled in the blank. You figured it out. Yeah, I context clues, and I was able to put that there. So how does this story end? To quote the 1998 Oscar winner for Best Picture, Shakespeare in Love, as stories must when love's denied, with beers and a journey. Caleb didn't give up, though. He continued to hang out on Mike's deck, drinking Mike's beer until one night after one or two too many, 
Caleb closed the deal with, wouldn't it be awesome to make beer in this town and live here and do this forever? Mike's answer that night and when he sobered up in the morning was yes. Mike was sold just as Jade was sold, just as Caleb was sold on Ord. In 2012, Mike, Jade, and Caleb put everything they had on the line to build Scratchtown. Scratchtown opened their doors in 2013 and have since dedicated themselves to brewing and serving an assortment of premium quality handcrafted beer. They take pride in using simple ingredients to make complex and delicious beers. Their beer is made with some of the freshest, purest water on the planet, drawn from the Ogallala Aquifer hidden beneath Ord. Scratchtown Brewing is owned by four families, the Klimicks, the Pollards, the Rileys, and the Stunkles, with Mike Klimick still serving as the chief brewing officer. They decided that from the beginning that they would be a purpose-driven company that used the art and science of fermentation to help transform the Ord community. Everything they brew and bottle is by hand. The owners work the tap room, events, and festivals side-by-side with their staff while running both production and operations. It's a place that remains vibrant and thriving within the Ord community through hard work, love, and care. Caleb Pollard put it best when asked about what they'll never put on tap at Scratchtown. His answer was good enough. Good enough doesn't go on tap here. And that's our introduction to Scratchtown. If you want to learn more, which I highly encourage you do, look up Matthew Hansen's Omaha World Herald article from 2017 on Scratchtown. It's a great profile, and it actually dives into Ord's history as well as the brewery. A couple of cool random facts. Scratchtown is Nebraska's first solar-powered brewery with 80% of their energy needs being met through solar panels. That's cool. Yeah. Caleb Pollard, and this is going to make you jealous, Drew, grows his own hops just outside of Ord, and those occasionally make it into a beer. Yeah, I would love love to say the same. And then, do you know how Scratchtown got its name? I don't. So in 1873, U.S. General Ord was conducting a railroad land survey of the region in and around the township that would become Ord. While conducting their work, the general and his team were plagued by a swarm of biting flies and mosquitoes brought about by a recent spring rain. When asked by his crew what to name the town, the general responded, I don't care, name it Scratchtown. (laughs) Instead, they named it Ord. While the name never stuck, the founders of Scratchtown thought it was a perfect name for a brewery. That is perfect. There you go. So that's Scratchtown. Another great example of... You know, people buying into a community and community buying into a, a brewery and symbiotic. Yeah. It just works together it's so well. Marriage. So, Drew, why don't you tell us what we are drinking from Scratchtown? All right. Yeah. We've got Wonder Twins Double IPA. This guy clocks it in at 8.5% ABV. The flavor and aroma coming in from this beer is created through late addition hop and a heavy dry hopping of citric and mosaic hops. And so that's, I'm assuming that's why they call this beer the Wonder Twins, because Citric and Mosaic are indeed like just a perfect pair yeah. for, for IPAs. And I think we have another good example of that here. Yeah. I have a question for you. As yes. the brewer, I'm going to refer to you for this information. What does late addition mean? What, what does that mean when we talk about hops? Yeah. So uh, late addition is technically, I think it's any like hop addition that comes in 30 minutes or with 30 minutes or less left in your boil. Um, so you're adding hops to to create bitterness, to bring bitterness to the beer, but you're also doing it for aroma and flavor from the hops. And so anything that's coming in as a late addition is providing a little bit of bitterness, but it's really more geared towards that aroma and that flavor. That's what you're looking for. And so these hops have typically what's, what is a lower alpha acid content, and so they're a little more volatile. They They can't quite handle like longer boiling times. 
and retain the aroma and flavor. So that's why they're added so late is just because that preserves that, that flavor and aroma. Late additions provide that. And then the dry hopping is another one that really accentuates that as well. And so like when we cracked this beer open, you poured it and I could smell it, you know, way off, way off in the distance. I mean, it's, it's bursting with aroma. Yeah. And then that flavor really shines through as well. The other thing I like about this beer is that when you do have like a big IPA, it's high in alcohol content, big hop flavor, you need a strong malt backbone just to kind of carry things and balance it out. And I think that this beer does that as well. Yeah, this is a great beer. And this might be a really weird tasting note, but it reminds me of almost like chewing a Starburst and that mouthfeel you get of the sweetness, the tropical, the citrusy. They all kind of play together really well. And I think part of that is that malt backbone that you're talking about that gives you that richness to the beer and helps bring balance to that. But it gets you salivating and looking for the next sip. Yeah. 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 And and mosaic is a hop that it's it's called mosaic for a reason, right? It provides a wide variety of tropical notes and, and so when paired with citrus, yeah, that they draw draw each other's um higher higher qualities out. So great. Yeah. Well, cheers to Scratchtown Brewing Company. This is a delicious beer. I'm looking forward to our next beer, which switches gears into stout territory. Yeah. Which is always fun as well. And that's gonna be an aged stout. So we've got some Fun flavors to play off of each other, seeing what they can do with the IPAs, and then seeing how they explore the other spectrum of beer. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one as well. Yeah. All right, well, let's move into talking about Nebraska and Wisconsin. First, a quick scoring recap. Nebraska lost another heartbreaker. We're so close. <laughs> to our Say it again. Yeah. To our Big Ten West, not rival, rival Wisconsin, with a score of 35-28. to 28. Do you want to talk about some overall thoughts, or do you want to dive right into special teams first? I've got one soapbox thought, if you don't mind me climbing yeah. up here. Is that that two paragraphs it's this, that I... this whopper. Oh, my God. I got so much to say about this fucking game. Cool. Yeah. Well, okay. I'm, but I'll start I'm good at off. listening, okay. so... I'm going to start it off by uh, talking about the very last play. Not just the very last play, but the general reaction. Are you talking about when Wisconsin the last play? kneeled the ball at four seconds left? <laughs> yeah, that's on the <laughs> On the 35-yard line after a 15-yard penalty? All right. We're going to talk about Nebraska's last offensive play. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah, that one. The way that we lost this game, to me, was like a magic trick. Okay, everyone is looking at the very last play. Not the very last one, but the, as we've decided. <laughs> I just the fucked very up last. your entire <laughs> prepared God damn box. it. Go ahead and cross uh, off no, it's, last play and just write gotta, second to last, second to last. i got to get my, yeah, my red pen out and make some editing. Everybody's looking at that, that play. That that missed pass interference. It it was it was a it was a very glaring miss by the uh, officials, and it was a frustrating one. But that's just a sleight of hand that's distracting everybody from the very first play of the game, which was the complete special teams meltdown yeah. that led to the seven nothing lead and completely dictated what happened from there forward. Because Nebraska didn't have a lead at all throughout that game, right? They were always playing catch up, and so this whole thing about how. Well, if we would have gotten that one call, we, if they would, we had a chance, and the refs blew it. Like, no, that's a bullshit excuse for people who lose, and you're and you're focusing on this linear illusion of a football game, right? You're focusing on the sequence, the order of of events rather than the events themselves. And so, yeah, so we all focus on the wrong play. Nebraska blew it just as badly as the refs did on that last play. So, if they don't want to play in these close games, and they don't want to live and die by blown calls by the refs, then they don't need to give up kickoff returns for touchdowns to open a game. 
or let drives die inside the opponent's five-yard line, or give up 100-plus yards after contact to a 17-year-old running back, who's a beast, by the way, and we'll talk about him. They could probably try making tackles, uh, making stops, not missing wide-open receivers, blocking for their quarterback so he's not scrambling every other play and getting banged up and injured. They could not get holding penalties to push themselves back from the 12-yard line to the 22 and force their offense into a horrendous play-calling situation at a crucial juncture in the game. They could probably do any of those things throughout any part of the game, and then that, that call at the end doesn't matter. So all I want to say is I get it. I get the frustration. I was frustrated too, but it's a, it's a stupid excuse. It's a distraction from the real issues and what really cost us that game. If we don't want to lose because the ref missed a call, then we just need to stop putting ourselves in that situation. If the very first play of the game, Nebraska had the ball and they took a shot and the, the refs missed a pass interference call. And then the very last play of the game was a kickoff return for a touchdown that won Wisconsin the game. Yeah. What would you be complaining about? Not the fucking pass interference blowing it. Like you wouldn't be complaining about the refs sure. blowing the game for sure. you. Know, you'd be complaining about the actual issue. And that's Nebraska failing in critical situations. Yes. Yeah. No, but I complained about that against Michigan State. We did see that in Michigan State, yeah, right? God. (laughs) I think that's a fair complaint to have, right? That these aren't just individual moments that cause Nebraska to lose the game. It's it's the game as a whole. That doesn't mean I'm still not going to talk way too much (laughs) about that missed call. It was a terrible missed call. It really was. But we'll get to it yeah. when we get to talking about the game. But you you mentioned something in special teams, and so that's a great transition, I think, talking about special teams. Why did we get cute with that kickoff? Why did we decide to kick a line drive? I have to believe that that was drawn up, that that was a play call, that that was not Frankie. Because later in the game, he was kicking out of the end zone. He was booting the ball, and that's not characteristic of him. And for that first half, Nebraska was kicking the ball and trying to get Wisconsin to return it, and Wisconsin answered the call. And they're not a good team at that. Like th- statistically, they're not great at returning the ball. They're really bad at it. We, so we talked about that last we week. We did, and it just boggled my mind that it's like, why test it? We're not great at block, like at at you know covering the return. So why test it? That's my only frustration with special teams because really, that's the only special teams that existed in this game. Nebraska made all their PATs. Wisconsin made all theirs. Wisconsin missed a field goal. Yeah. I was going to say, like, our, our punting game, even Wisconsin's punting game, the field goal game was all taken out of this game just based on script, but then also based on yeah. Scott Frost relying on his offense rather than his kicker. Same thing with, with Wisconsin. They did the same thing. I Yeah, that's true. I think, what, how many punts were there in this game? Three? Two for Wisconsin and one for Nebraska? Something like that. Yeah, it, it was, wasn't much. It wasn't a special teams heavy game. No, but. But special teams. <laughs> still decided decided changed the course of the game and it comes down to not having someone to make the right call on that this is again just pointing to the fact that we need a special teams coordinator who not only is coordinating the special teams but also is someone who's capable of coaching those specialists to do the right thing in the right situations why when you have a guy who can kick touchbacks do you not kick a touchback I don't know I can't answer that question. Why? That was one of the, Why? <laughs> that was Why just... can't you answer that question? It's so frustrating. Yeah. I thought Frost listened to our podcast, and I've been on this all fucking I think season. He, see, and that's the thing. Is I think he did, and he, he was like, oh, it's not a big deal. Like, Wisconsin sucks at returning the ball. Cool. Well, then you're listening to the wrong things, Scott. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I need you to, to, to take what the other team gives you. Just kick touchbacks. You've got the leg from Gretna who can bomb the shit out of the ball. Let him do it. Yeah. There's no reason to, to tempt fate. 
So do you have anything else that you want to add to special teams or? No, I think that pretty much covers it. Yeah. Yeah. There wasn't a whole lot to really focus on with special teams after the first seven seconds of the game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, just put that in the rear view mirror and, you know, ignore that one situation. Yeah. So Nebraska's offense against Wisconsin's defense. For me, this was just a, a single question, and that was how. How did an offense that was missing 80% of its coaches manage to gain over 450 yards on a defense that's been allowing around 200 yards per game? How did this offense put up 28 points against a team that's only allowed 7.3 per game? How did this offense not come away with the win? And the answer is simple. Two interceptions, a pair of special team snafus, put Nebraska in hole after hole that they just had to dig out. And in the one game where the offense is their most efficient and, and, and impressive since Northwestern, the mistakes just outweighed the success. To me, that's the story of the offense for this game. Yeah. This team is what this team is, regardless of who's coaching it right now. Like, we're so late into the season. If those four coaches that they let go were the problem, it wasn't going to get corrected before this game. Yeah. I think we probably all did kind of expect more struggles from yeah. the offense. Surprisingly, just they did based on, like, yeah, just based on, like, a, a logistics, right? Like, four new people in these players' ears, you know, four new people operating during the game. And you almost wonder, did we see that with Torre's touchdown where there was looked like there was a lot of miscommunication on that play call? Or was that design? <laughs> that I thought it was I thought it was designed. It kind of looked about like that design. Yeah. yeah, because you had the linemen all pop up simultaneously and look like they didn't know the call. And it was too simple of a route. That mm-hmm. play shouldn't have worked against the best defense Nebraska's played all season. And yeah. yet it was a slant route for a wide open touchdown. Yeah, so go figure. But it is. This is this is what makes this team so frustrating, right? And this yeah. is like one of the those like statistical anomalies that yeah. we that we keep bumping into. It's like, yeah, like they're incredibly explosive. They can put up tons of yards and yet they still can't score enough points because there's always something else working against them because yeah. of special teams, like you said, because of the turnovers, because the defense can't make that one extra stop sure. because the referees blow a call so to be fair both defenses allowed the same amount of points though that's true right yeah so that's a good point but either way right they did i don't i don't know man like i don't know yeah i don't know because this wasn't this didn't feel quite like the empty calorie game yeah where they were putting up tons of yards but but not scoring this felt like it was like it was legit good success yeah did you feel more invested in this game after seeing Nebraska respond after that special teams touchdown did you did you feel like wait a second so this team did put something together because they could have easily rolled over and died with the events of the bye week but instead this offense came back and immediately responded and in a way where it was very impressive and I I kind of sat up and was like oh this is gonna be a game yeah that was it was a great statement drive it was the no like we're here to play like (laughs) you know at least we are as an offense yeah yeah, I was invested. I think I was. I wouldn't have been as invested if it was a different team we were sure. playing against. The Wisconsin carries a lot of weight as far as like my passion and my hatred goes. Yeah, and so that kept me invested. I will say though, like looking back, I n- I never really felt like we were gonna win. Yeah, even though this game still had a little bit of a different feel in and the sense that we really hung with them. You said that to me during the game that it just felt like this. This feels inevitable. Like the game that that we're heading towards was the game that took place in the fourth quarter. It is, yeah, and it and a lot of these games do, and that's and I think that might be. Everybody talks about like, well, what are the, when are we going to get over the hump? What's it going to take? And if I, as a fan, and who have 
Like legit, like really, what does it matter? What does it honestly matter whether Nebraska wins or loses? I don't. If they never have a winning season again, my life might be a little sadder. But like, it doesn't affect me. Um, it'll be called Saturday. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> You'll hit the That's D good. instead That's of the T. Beautiful. <laughs> oh man! But like, for players, for people that are actually invested, like legitimately, like pouring their heart and soul into this, being in this situation over and over and over again, it would be very difficult to get over the hump of just believing. Yeah, that this time it's going to be different. I'm still not willing to let go. I mean, every every game, I'm sitting there thinking. This is it. This is going to be that turning point. This is going to be that piece of momentum that carries us. And now at this point, what we're looking at is I need that piece of momentum that's going to carry us into the next season. because It's going to be another long off season. But the, the offense was just confounding yet again. But it did leave that little bit of confidence of, okay, so we've done something against Wisconsin that almost nobody else has done and quite convincingly. And it wasn't quick strikes all the time it was drive after drive nebraska was eating clock they were doing the things that they wanted to do while still being a chunk yardage offense so it was a nice blend of what we've been seeing so far and then hints of how this team can actually grow sustain these drives with these with these chunk yards and then get little bit little bit chunk yard little bit little bit chunk yard and so you're putting together an 11 play drive that results in a touchdown that's not fizzling out at the 30 or the 20 or the 15 or whatever, and you're missing a field goal. This was one of the most efficient, I feel like, games for this offense, including scoring. So those things were, I don't know, they were optimistic. They were encouraging. But again, it, it was one of those where I kind of sat down at the game and I was like, this game doesn't matter because this offense could look completely different next year. Oh, yeah. You think about like the, the big-time playmakers in this game. Yeah. I don't know if any of them are going to be... Well, not I mean, just that, two but of them for sure are not just coaching wise schematically. What is this offense going to look like? What is what is this going to look like from a play calling perspective? Are we going to see any of these plays again? Are we going to see any of these schemes or is it going to be all different based on who gets hired? Yeah, this could be like the frost farewell tour. Yeah, you know, farewell to his offense. Yeah, as we know it, I don't think it'll be drastically different because I, I think that would be detrimental to sure. I mean, if, if he believes as much in this offense and this team and his philosophies is he says he does, then I think that enough of it will stick around. And you see a game like this and you think that's really not the worst thing. That's again, more of the frustration. It is because we still fucking lost. And that's, that's the thing that I just can't get over. I can't, I never will. I never will. I'm sorry. Bad (laughs) switching gears though, but still talking about the offense. Isn't it amazing what happens when you throw to a six foot nine tight end? Yeah. Right. (laughs) A big-bodied guy. Yeah, that's got a with little great hands. Yeah, he can catch the ball, and then he's got a little hustle. Yeah, and and a couple good moves after he's got it too. Yeah, we've been waiting a really long time for the tight end position to shine in this offense because that was one of the things that that was kind of promised, I guess you could say, or expected, especially through recruiting and the kind of guys we're bringing in. Yeah, and so it's it's clicking. And then again, if you're looking for more reasons for optimism, you've got a position now that's been established as is. The way it's supposed to be in this offense. And you've got Thomas Fedoni coming up next. Yeah. If you were looking in from a recruiting perspective and looking in the future, you know, Iowa's established themselves, obviously, as the tight end school. Maybe Nebraska can, you know, give them a little shove there. Yeah. And give them a run for the money. And not to sell short and give all the credit to Austin Allen, Volkolek was also very present in this game, making himself available for those checkdowns and picking up key yardage in key situations to keep the drives alive. So... Both tight ends were very active. Fedoti posted that he got his first Big Ten hit. And he, you know, got welcomed to the Big Ten just by getting leveled by a Wisconsin defender, which 
there's probably no bigger dude to get hit by than someone from Wisconsin. Yeah. Yeah. If you're going to, if you're going to get introduced, that's the way to do it. Yeah. Any other thoughts that you have on offense that you want to dive into? Um, I do want to, I'm interested in your thoughts about Smothers. Sure. So I know he, he burned his red shirt, obviously this yeah. game. And that makes sense in that situation. Cause your quarterback's injured yeah. and you don't know what's going to happen. You're not going to, th- you're not going to throw an injured guy out there and you're not going to put in well, no, 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 man. So you're not, you, they did, obviously. That's the thing. So, like, in that situation, maybe they just didn't know what the injury was. Yeah. It could have been serious. Maybe it still is. I don't know. But they burned Smothers' red shirt. Later on in the game, Martinez told Frost, hey, I think my shoulder injury caused that interception. Yeah. And what happens? Like, he still goes out there and plays. I guess two different perspectives here. Good on Martinez for being tough. Yeah. You know, again, playing through injury, putting it all on the line. Kudos to him more than I would ever do for a football team or anything really for that matter. I would be on the couch, but that's me. What the fuck though? Like why are, why do we continue to put him out there when he's hurt? Yeah. If it's obviously costing them the ball. If sure. it's obviously costing them possessions. The big lob that just went right to to Wisconsin's safety, like that I don't know, that was so that was so detrimental and it was so obviously going to happen. Sure. And you already burned Smothers red shirt. Yep. And you're playing in a season where you're in a game. It doesn't fucking matter whether you win or lose, right? Like, it just doesn't. Play Smothers. Like, play Smothers in that situation and see what he does. So, I'm going to answer this in a very roundabout way to answer kind of your thought on this. Okay, I've got time. So, good. (laughs) With a minute 15 left in the game, Frost didn't call a timeout. And the offense took about 25 to 30 seconds to snap the ball. This is part of that bigger issue. And it's the same thing you're talking about. It's the same thing that I've harped on for a little bit is that the game management and the CEO point of view better not be bullshit that we're being fed. I think Frost's biggest weakness is making in-game decisions that impact the entire team. Decisions like why not play smothers? Decisions like why not call a timeout? Those types of decisions where I think he's a little too tunnel visioned in trying to call the offense or be in the moment that he's not able to extract himself out and rely on his stable of coaches to do the minute by minute details and let him focus on the big picture. That's a really hard decision to make with putting Smothers in in the third quarter or going into the fourth when you don't have your quarterback's coach who you rely on, who's on the sideline talking to Martinez saying, hey, do you feel like you could really go in and do that? Then talking to Smothers being like, how comfortable are you feeling? Why don't you start warming up? Like, There's things that are missing from that front. We need these guys who are professionals and pros at what they do, not just during practice and prepping these guys, but in the game itself. So Frost needs to make sure that he has a stable of vice presidents behind him that lead marketing, that lead finance that lead you know but in the football aspect so I don't think that it was an oversight I don't think that it was a misstep I just don't think that shit's on his mind because he's so tunneled into the offense calling the offense doing those things and that power gets taken away when Adrian comes out of the game that limits him in what he can call what he's confident in calling and they're so focused on the game plan the scheme and doing what they thought would work the week leading up as opposed to adjusting during the game and going at it, that I'm sure that's what was going through his head with, we're not going to pull Martinez now because our best shot at winning is Adrian, injured or not. That's a problem then. It is a problem. And that's why that issue, I hope we're not just being fed bullshit when it comes to... I don't, 
I don't think we're being fed bullshit, but I do, as somebody who is a tunnel vision worker, like I, that's what I am, right? Like I've been in a position where I've, I've needed to have that oversight over a team, but as I'm not comfortable necessarily in that situation, always, that's not who, how I naturally handle things. I love to be the worker. I love to get the shit done and I, and it's just in my nature, right? So, and I think it's in Frost's nature. People like that, like that's that's the way they are, and that's fine. And he can be great as an offensive coordinator. He can be great in whatever other coaching he wants to do. But in the the CEO thing, like you don't just flip a switch and turn into a CEO. Right. It doesn't happen. We talked about it last last week with Josh. Like it's it's hard. It's a that's a that's a a mindset and a skill set and a thing that you have to enjoy or have like almost ingrained in you, one or the other. I and know he I'm, I'm probably beating a dead horse here, but this is what harps back to then my feeling on. Bill Moose was not the boss for Frost to help him get to that standpoint. So we're three and a half years behind on Frost's own development. Frost wasn't going to come here and be the Lord and Savior for the football team. He also needed to grow. He was stepping in from a group of five team to a power five team. And there's growth that needs to take place in there. Ask anyone who's taken over these these programs and had to learn how to do that, especially with a team that was where it was performance-wise. Yeah. So now Frost has, since what? When did Trev Alberts get hired? July. He's only had five months of time where he may be getting the feedback he needs to start to grow as an individual. So he's three and a half years behind on that. He's three and a half years from having a leader who can help him change on that front. So I'm willing to give him that extra time to learn to be that better CEO. I know exactly what you're talking about. It is not an easy feat to change who you are as a worker, as an employee, But at this level, that's what it takes to succeed. Ask Nick Saban. And so I'm willing to give that time under the type of leadership that Trev seems to be bringing to the table. If if you're telling me, if you believe that that's not being bullshit, that bullshit being fed to us, that's the right point of view that this team needs to move forward in. And so I am confident in that kind of movement and in those kind of changes not taking place. Someone coming into his ear being like, I think we need to call a timeout. The guy up in the booth being like, hey, you're my head coach and I'm your OC. But I want a second to confer with you. And that's where he can then be that minute guy. He can have the tunnel vision and say, okay, my OC needs me to lend my expertise. That's what got me to the CEO level. Now we work together as a team as opposed to I have all the answers. And a former banker from Fort Collins is just up there saying, which play do you want me to call? You know what I mean? Like, so yeah, that's how I feel on that. Okay. How does that answer your question? Uh, what you're saying is... Scott Frost is the next Nick Saban, thanks yeah. to Trev Alberts. Yep. Boom. Yeah. I'm glad that you heard exactly what I was saying. That's what I heard. Also, you got something against bankers. Moving into defense. Okay. What do you want to say about Nebraska's defense against Wisconsin? I will say a few things. I will say, one, tackling was optional. Yes. I found a quote from Braylon Allen. It's, here's his quote. After my first couple carries, I was like, these guys aren't really trying to tackle. They were bouncing off of me. By the end of the game, it was the same thing. From start to finish, they weren't interested in it. He did. He said that before the Nebraska game. He said that. Oh. After, yeah, I know, right? Exactly. You can copy and paste it to any of his past like seven games. Yeah. The dude just runs people over and he gets it. Yeah. This, he said this after Northwestern. Oh. Okay. Which makes sense, right? Yeah. Because they didn't tackle him either, no. and neither did Purdue or Iowa or any of them. Like no. Yeah. That that was. That was a really big performance from him. Like he's obviously an incredibly gifted, very powerful runner. But Nebraska's tackling left a lot to be desired. The effort, 
from a lot of guys was was a little painful. Yeah. The seventy one yarder in particular, I think we all we all know that the tackling there could have been much better. Kudos to my favorite player on chasing the man down though. Yeah. Showing some fucking speed. Yeah. He knew he was gonna hear it in a film study on Monday. Because he threw a shoulder instead he, of wrapping up. Yeah. 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 He tried to make up for it as best he could. Yeah. But yeah. And then that fifty two yarder. I went back and watched that one again a few times. That was just fucking awesome blocking by Wisconsin. Yeah. That's all that was. Sure. They they took every person. I think Garrett Nelson was the only guy that got close before the line of scrimmage. Allen just made him miss, hit the hole. They took Reimer out of the out of the play. They had really great perimeter blocking. And then all that left was uh, open field and Miles Farmer, who's a big fucking dude. And he just got, sh- just shit. He just shed him off like he was nothing. Yeah. You know? So that that was painful to watch uh, from that performance. And then we were Jekyll and Hyde in this game. Um, yeah. I think a lot of people will look at this just on the surface and say, like, man, that was a, like a bad defensive game because of the rushing stats that we gave up. Um, but we did have a few stops. Yeah. You know, big fourth down stops. Wisconsin had three drives within Nebraska's 35-yard line that resulted in zero points. So it was a Jekyll and Hyde game Yeah, in that sense. You say Jekyll and Hyde. I say Spaghetti Western. It was some good, some bad, some ugly. Yeah. For me, the good Nebraska was in the right place at the right time through most of that game. The bad was that Wisconsin, Wisconsin, they were still able to put together an effective running attack with just enough passing to put 28 points on the board and combine that with the special teams, seven points. That was the game. And the ugly, you talked about it, tackling. Tackling was just bad. I think this was Nebraska's worst tackling performance all season. And this game reminded me a little bit of the Minnesota game where Nebraska just had no response for the running attack that was being thrown at them. The difference being Nebraska felt like they were ready for it against Wisconsin, whereas Minnesota attacked with extra linemen. They put, what, seven guys on the line and just bullied Nebraska, whereas here Nebraska had their shot. The tackling was just piss poor, and maybe they weren't ready for a 240-pound wrecking ball to just hit him in the mouth and keep going and keep churning those legs. Like you said, it's a Jekyll and Hyde performance. Nebraska's defense was where they needed to be. They were ready for this game from a film study, schematic, play-calling perspective. They just were not able to execute the key tackles when it mattered the most. And that's how I feel about the defense. I think we're pretty on key with that, that it, it wasn't a bad performance. It was just a bad example of tackling. Yeah. Uh, any other thoughts on Nebraska's defense versus Wisconsin's offense? No, I feel like we hit on everything. I think now's a good time to talk about our game MVPs. And I'm going to let you go first. All right. We might have the same ones. I, maybe. I don't know here. But my MVPs, I've got two of them. My MVPs are there, Allen. And our Allen. Sure. So theirs is a 17-year-old that trucked everyone. I don't I don't want to say anything more about it because I don't want to think about it. And I don't want to put that in on anybody. We all had to live through it. Um, but ours set a single a single game school record for tight end receiving yards. And he will likely end up atop the record books after the Iowa game for his career. That's great. And he's going to be playing in the NFL. Yeah. Because of what he's put together here. Yeah, for absolutely. Sure. We're lucky if we get him back for another season. I, I don't see why he... I don't think he should... Really? For his own sake, yeah, no, just for like, health and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, if you can if you can get on now, then do it. Like, yeah, do it. NIL is not going to make up for the whatever you're going to be making in the NFL. That's fair. And yeah, I could see a run it back situation. That's the kind of mentality this team had going into this season. But I could also see that after this kind of a season, 
it might be hard to buy into that. Yeah. Especially with a new offensive coordinator. So you're coming off your, your career best. It it's helps. To, yeah. To, yeah. I would say it helps that his, his coach, his position coach is sticking around. Sure. Maybe like maybe that influences him a little bit to stay, but honestly, I just, I don't see it happening just because it just doesn't make sense to me. Well, you saw how hard it was for tight ends to finally be involved in an offense at Nebraska, even with the talent that we had guys like Seth and Carter, who were a great talent, great hands, able to, to make crucial key catches. They weren't part of the game planning when schools like you mentioned, Iowa, Wisconsin, some other schools that really lean heavily on to the tight end position within the big 10. It's shocking that Nebraska hasn't. So there, there's a lot of pros and a lot of cons to sticking around, but I think the pros are going to definitely outweigh as far as the pros on going into the next level. Yeah. So I did have Austin Allen as my MVP, but I thought you might have Austin Allen as your MVP. Ah, sneaky, sneaky. So I decided to change mine. I changed my game MVPs to Jeff Lakowitz, John Hayes, and Reginald Berry. And that's the back judge, the side judge, and the field judge. And those are the guys responsible for calling pass interference uh, yeah. on that play. <laughs> and they did not. Just just real quick, it, for those of you who aren't aware of what the uh, job in, you know entails for the back judge. So yeah. on a back judge, once the ball is released on a passing play, the back judge goes to where the pass is thrown to determine catch or no catch and rule on offensive and defensive pass interference. So... MVP for Wisconsin there. And then the side judge and the field judge lines up on the sideline 20 to 25 yards downfield. Oddly enough, that's right about where the no call was. Yeah, They focus on receivers to their side of the field to make sure they're able to run their route without defensive interference. So they fucked up on that. And then they rule on defensive pass interference or offensive pass interference. Fucked up on that. Defensive holding, you know, there wasn't any holding. That's fine. And then illegal contact of eligible receivers. They fucked up on that. So those are my MVPs for the game because Wisconsin wound up winning. So why don't they get the MVP? Who gives a shit? Uh, no, Austin Allen was by far and away Nebraska's MVP of that game. He was playing his heart out. He was giving it his all. He was getting himself open, finding soft spots in that defense and making shit happen for Nebraska. Uh, special shout out. I've been worried. What is this defense going to look like next season? We obviously know that these coaches are hopefully going to all be retained. They should be. I'm worried about like guys like Tuioti getting poached by someone else because our defensive line play has improved. He's got kids in school here though. So I'm hoping that that sort of like locks him in <laughs> yeah, until they finish high school. Yeah. Something uh, until they finish high school and then come play for Nebraska. Yeah. Yeah. But we saw a lot of youth, a lot of guys who haven't had a lot of reps come in and play. And we didn't see a huge drop in production. Again, guys were still in the right place. They seem to be playing intelligently, just not with the violence and physicality on tackling. And that gave me some confidence going into next year that Nebraska is going to have still a defense that is intelligent, that is sound, and then they can work on some other things going into next year. So that gave me a little boost of excitement thinking, okay, here's some guys we haven't really seen a whole lot from and they're playing and I'm not noticing a drop off. So I just wanted to, to throw that in there. Anything else? That's it. That's it for me. I agree with you there. I'm excited about, uh, about the future of the defense. Cool. Yeah. So moving on to our next beer from Scratchtown Brewing Company in Ord, Nebraska. We are drinking the Lord of Ord. This is an imperial oatmeal stout coming in at 12.6% ABV. This beer is handcrafted using a careful mix of dark malts to create a beer with notes of chocolate, coffee, and dark fruit. Scratchtown then adds flaked oats for a full body and smooth finish. After a hearty fermentation and aging period, the resulting beer gains its strength. Drew, what do you think about this beer? 
I really like this one so far. I pick up a ton, a ton of the coffee. Yeah. That's what hits me the most as far as the flavor goes. Um, I'm actually really surprised to hear that there's oats in this. Because mm-hmm. usually when I think of like oats, I think of like a rich, creamy quality to a beer. And this one doesn't quite come through with that. That, uh, that weight? That, yeah, that body that, that you expect from that. So surprised. I don't think it, it doesn't hold back. I mean, I'm, I'm the oats obviously add something to it to yeah. get it to where it is. And I'm not complaining. I'm just saying I'm surprised. But yeah, I really enjoy this. As a coffee drinker, I actually quite love this. So you don't often hear refreshing when you think of a stout. But this has a refreshing feel. It has kind of a cola e feel when you drink it there's a a good amount of carbonation with this beer and because it is smoothed out by those oats Mm -hmm. it just is really clean crisp a little bit of bitterness something that you might find in an old-fashioned cola where you're getting maybe a little bit of herbal medicinal that sort of thing and then those dark fruits really exist in the aroma and it gives that really nice drinking experience and like you said yeah coffee or a nice espresso or something like that that's absolutely the flavor profile of this beer a really nice example of the flavors you can get from a stout and a really interesting take especially with the lightness and the carbonation and everything like that really nice kind of surprise i was expecting a rich thir- a rich therapy <laughs> a rich syrupy beer and what i walk away with is this really light refreshing and yet flavorful stout yeah and i will i will say i do love the name yeah and the label. lord of ord yeah the lord of ord i, I mean if you're not making a pun with your beer name what are you doing? What yeah. are you doing? Yeah. You're, you're just wasting everyone's time. <laughs> no, I've been I've I've been very impressed with um, what I've had from Scratch Town so far and well, I'm hoping I can find some more of it. Thanks to our, our friend and listener Matt for recommending this brewery. It was a long time in the work. Scratch Town's not an easy brewery to, to find yeah. in Omaha. They don't can and distribute statewide like some other breweries do, but they do release these special bottles like Lord of Ord was a special release that I was fortunate enough to track down. Wonder Twins, we were able to find it local in Millard, and they canned it for us on their crowling equipment. So I was able to take that home, and that's what allowed us to do this episode. So keep your eyes peeled, especially if you're in the Omaha and Lincoln market, but if you're able to make your way out to Ord, hit them up. They've recently been put on a list of top 50 most underrated breweries in the country. So from a national perspective, looking in, Ord is an area where beer drinkers from across the country come to and visit because their beer is held in such high regard. So check yeah. out Scratch Town if you get a chance and uh, really enjoy their beer because they're putting some great stuff out. Yeah, that's impressive. Well, before we move on to Iowa, we want to take a quick moment to talk about our show partner, the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild. As we mentioned at the top of the show, Wannabe Walk-Ons is the official podcast of the NCBG. The Guild is a professional organization that protects the craft brewing industry in Nebraska. The Guild's main focus is to encourage folks of a legal drinking age to drink Nebraska beer through promotion, education, and events. The craft beer's industry creates a $600 million economic impact in Nebraska alone. When you drink craft beer, you're supporting local, small business, something that's important now more than ever. If you're a fan of craft beer like we are, you can support the NCBG by joining the Nebraska Beer Alliance. Being a member gives you access to exclusive discounts, Nebraska beer merch, and members-only information. You can learn more about the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild, find local breweries, and join the Nebraska Beer Alliance by visiting nebraska.beer. All right, Drew, before we get into the Nebraska-Iowa matchup, I have a little story time for you. 
Now, before I dive into this story, I want to warn you and our listeners that I'm about to tell you about a Husker fan named Brandon and a Hawkeye fan named Ben. Ben is not me. I am not this Liar. Ben. No, hold on. Okay. This is a different Ben, a Ben that uh-huh. cheers for the Hawkeyes. I am not attempting to pull some M. Night Shyamalan-style <laughs> twist and reveals to, reveal to you that I've been a Hawkeye fan this entire you time. You suckers have been listening to a Hawkeye podcast <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> so, here we go. Remember, the Ben in this story is not me. I am not a Hawkeye <laughs> All right. fan. All right. In 2011, the Nebraska-Iowa rivalry was renamed the Heroes Game, in which both teams play to honor and recognize individuals from each state for acts of heroism in their community. The winner of the game takes home bragging rights in addition to the apparently hastily designed Heroes Trophy. (laughs) Is this the greatest tradition in college football? Maybe. Maybe not. Probably not. Some would say Ringo isn't even the best drummer in the Beatles, but you know what is the greatest? The thing I'm about to tell you. In 2018, Husker fan Brandon and Hawkeye fan Ben decided to dedicate a trophy of their own. It would recognize the sanctity of the trophy sponsored by hy V, but improve upon itself in every way imaginable. Instead of a metal football atop a wooden base, Brandon and Ben's trophy would be beer. Move over Heroes Trophy, make way for the Beeros Trophy. Since 2018, Brandon and Ben have conducted a beer swap in the weeks leading up to the Beeros game. They give each other the best can or bottle of beer they can track down and drink said beer during the Black Friday matchup. You see, Brandon and Ben, a pair of attorneys who have been friends since the mid-90s, live on opposite sides of Missouri. With holiday obligations, it's a logistical nightmare to spend the game together the day after Thanksgiving. But the swapping and drinking of great beer brings them closer together during the game. After the game, Brandon and Ben write the final score on the bottle across a piece of tape with the winner of the game holding bragging rights for the next year. It's less a bet and more a collective drinking experience, a way for the two friends to share more than a TV screen from across the state. According to Brandon and Ben, although Huskers and Hawkeyes may be rivals, we have much more in common with each other than the rest of the Big Ten. Brandon and Ben ask that we share their story to get more folks involved with the Bureau's trophy. So if you know a Hawkeye fan or if you're a Hawkeye fan listening and know a Husker fan, swap a beer with them. Celebrate the beauty of college football and craft beer together. There's so many incredible local craft beers in Nebraska and Iowa. Our states are one hell of a one-two punch for craft beer drinkers. But the only way to taste some of them is to befriend someone across the river. So let's join together and raise a glass to one another, the fans on both sides of the stadium. Without one another, this sport would be dull and boring. Or as Brandon puts it, the Bureau's trophy requires individuals from both states to come together because... Ultimately, the trophy is hollow if you don't have someone on the other side doing the same thing. The only problem I have with this whole thing is Brandon hasn't been able to write Nebraska on his bottle yet. Otherwise, all I can say is cheers. And that's the story of the Bureau's trophy. What an awesome, what an incredible yeah. story. First off, yeah. they nailed the pun. Yeah. They yes. nailed the pun. Yeah. Lord of Ord, Bureau's trophy. Brilliant. You got to give him credit for that. Oh man, that makes me not want to say terrible things about Iowa. For I mean, it didn't push me episode. that far. <laughs> <laughs> that also makes me want to befriend somebody from Iowa. Yeah. I want to partake. Yeah. So if you're one of our listeners and you've got a friend in Iowa, or you are an Iowa fan and you've got a Nebraska fan who's a friend, Brandon and Ben reached out to us to share this story so that more people would partake in the Bureau's trophy. Again, what they do is they swap a beer, and then after every game, they both write the score, they hang on to the bottle, and that's their trophy. They have bragging rights, they have history written down on the bottle, they get to remember the great beer they drank, 
they also get to remember the score of the game and the great showdown that Nebraska and Iowa had. And it's way fucking better than Hy-Vee's Heroes Trophy. That's so much better. Yeah. So much better. Okay, so, let's let's make the Bureau's Trophy as big as it's as it should be. Yes. Let's blow it up. Yeah. So if you're if you're a listener here, get involved. Find someone from Iowa that you can swap a beer with, or vice versa. Yeah. Brilliant. So I, I thought it. you would enjoy that story. I love it very much. Yeah. I'm so glad that 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 exists in this world. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. It was a really really neat story, and Brandon and Ben have both been very kind to share that story with yeah, us. Yeah. Thanks, guys. So that's cool. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing and trusting us with your time honored tradition. And yeah. I'm sorry you both live in Missouri. And that's your- <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, though, they shit on Missouri before I shit on Missouri in our conversations. So okay. I can say that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's move in to talking about the last game, the only game, the one game that matters this year, and that is Nebraska versus the Iowa Hawkeyes. We'll start, as we always do, with just the facts. On Friday, November 26th, the Iowa Hawkeyes traveled to Lincoln, Nebraska to take on the Cornhuskers for their annual Black Friday showdown. Kickoff is scheduled for 12.30 p.m. with the game set to broadcast on the Big Ten Network. Nebraska, led by head coach Scott Frost, enters the game at 3-8 after their loss to Wisconsin. The Hawkeyes, led by head coach Kirk Ferentz, come into this matchup at 9-2 after their win against Illinois. The spread for this game opened up with Nebraska as a four-point favorite. Drew, how do you feel about that? Because I think that's fucking weird. (laughs) (laughs) That's crazy. That is, is, I think weird might be the right word to use there. Um, I would... I, after digging into this game a little bit, I'm not too surprised, I guess, but I would have put it the other way. I would have said, like, Iowa is like a three or four point favorite would yeah. make sense. I think everybody expects this to be a close game, but I think looking at both teams, Nebraska's lost a lot of uh, close games. Iowa's sure. won a lot of close games. Being on the road, you know, playing at Nebraska shouldn't make Iowa an underdog no. by four. Like, that's that's kind of crazy to me. So, um, yeah, I it just that's a weird spread. That is, really yeah. is interesting. I, I'm curious how many times in history a three and eight team taking on a nine and two team has been favored on the opening line. It has to be rare, rare, rare. Yeah, yeah. Pink in the center. So Uh-oh. special teams. Okay, let's dive into it. Okay, what do you think? So breaking it down to feelies and for realies, my feelies are this: for two teams that play close games not just against each other, but against most opponents this year. I will say that field goals matter. What? I know. It's a radical idea that Nebraskans need to get used to. Iowa just went 4-5 or five on their field goals against Illinois, and they won by 10 points. They yeah. matter. For realies, the stats that <laughs> the stats behind this, Iowa on the season, uh, just over 85% on their field goal kicks. They rank in the top 20. Nebraska... If you weren't aware, pretty fucking bad at kicking field goals. 46.67%. They rank 125th in the nation on field goal conversions. The past three games these teams have played each other, Iowa's won by three points, by three points, and by six. So again, field goals matter. We have not seen our field goal kicker, I feel like, in ages. No, we've seen our PAT (laughs) kicker. And so it'll be really, really interesting to see... Um, how Scott Frost calls the game, yeah. you know, in those in those inevitable like fourth and short situations, you know, inside the thirty yard line against Iowa do in a wanna, tight game. Do you want to hear a crazy stat about Iowa's field goal kicker? Yeah, he's responsible for thirty percent of Iowa's points. <laughs> do you know who the next closest person on Iowa's team is as far as like percentage of overall points? Or is it a quarter? Is it a quarterback? Yeah, you're oh, right. Goodson? It's Goodson. Tyler Goodson. Okay. Um, he's at 17% of the team's points. 
but their field goal kicker is responsible for 30, one out of every almost three, three points. points. Yeah, is because of their field goal kicker. Not to mention, on top of the field goal kicking, they've also got the best punter in the Big Ten in in Tory Taylor. This guy, he has over sixty kicks under his belt this season, and he's averaging forty six yards per kick. Like that's an insane number. You know what that tells me? Iowa punts a lot. Yeah, from their own side of the field. Yeah, yeah, tells me their offense is terrible. Yeah, but they're you know they've got a good punter. You know, so when it came to Iowa and diving in and really looking at the numbers on them, you can see that this is a team that very much excels and focuses on special teams. Mm -hmm. And so I did a little research outside of just the stats and the players themselves, and I wanted to look at their special teams coordinator a little bit more in depth. So I did some research on this guy, and his name is LeVar Woods. So LeVar Woods has been with Iowa since 2008. He began his career as an administrative assistant. He worked his way through coaching linebackers and then tight ends, and then he eventually took over as special teams coordinator in 2018. Now, coaching linebackers at Iowa is up there as far as really renowned coaching gigs, but his career trajectory was to hit that special teams coordinator position. He constantly was always dabbling in special teams along with the position groups he coached, and that just got me thinking, if your school and coaching staff has that kind of a focus on special teams, so much so that your coaches are working their way up to becoming the special teams coordinator when they're already a position coach, you know that their mindset is in the right place. So when we're taking on Iowa, it's kind of like when we played Michigan and we said the best result that we could get with special teams is a net neutral. Just don't make fucking mistakes. And like that's the best we can hope for because it's no surprise that Iowa excels at special teams when the professionals who are making hundreds of thousands of dollars, their head is in the right space. So the players are in the right space. And then you see the performance by their specialists, their kickers and punters. It's it's no joke. I just thought it was interesting, that career trajectory. That is, yeah, to set your sights on that. Yeah. To be Iowa's special teams coordinator. Yeah, and to, to be with the program for 10 so. years and to, to develop into that role, that tells you again that that is a destination. It's not a stepping stone. Mm -hmm. And he worked his way to that. And we've seen in the results and in the numbers, there's a reason Iowa excels in that area. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Well, moving into the <clears throat> next phase, which would be Nebraska's offense. I'm excited to hear what you have to say about Nebraska's offense. Oh my god, Iowa. I got so much to say. Cool. This is more. This is more. We're at a point in the season where we're like, we're so we're so deep into the season, and there's so much to look at that it's hard to focus on how do we stack up against Iowa. It, and to me, I'm just very self-reflective. Yeah. So that's my... Seflective. Yeah, that's my preface. I think that's the technical term for that. You're seflective. <laughs> the technical <laughs> term for Nebraska's offense is that they are explosive. Yeah. And that they are implosive. And so I was looking at... I was looking at some a ton of fucking numbers, dude. I got I went down a rabbit hole. Okay, Nebraska has sixty nine plays of twenty plus yards this season. I saw you want to lean into your mic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Okay, they rank number seven nationally in plays of twenty plus yards or more. Okay, the six teams ahead of them have a combined record of forty nine and seventeen. Those teams include Alabama, Pittsburgh, and Ohio State, and some others, but we won't talk about them. Who fucking calls Pitt Pittsburgh? Well, I call them Pittsburgh when I'm saying them. I wrote them down as Pitt. If you want to look at my notes. No. Okay. So I started to wonder, like, okay, what's the difference between Nebraska? Like, if explosive plays are usually an indicator of a team's success, why the fuck are we not successful? Why are we not winning games? 
I'm going to look at the implosive side of Nebraska. Ah. Look at plays of 10-plus yards for those teams as well. Okay, so now we're not talking about these big, big plays. We're talking about, you know, ripping off a, a run where you're getting to that second level past the linebackers, maybe taking a nice pass where you're, you know, taking what the defense will give you and you're 10, 12, 11, whatever. Yeah, yards. that's my favorite, taking what a defense gives you. Yeah, yeah. okay. <laughs> Something Nebraska's not good at. So Alabama, Liberty, Pitt, Ohio State, Western Kentucky, and Virginia, those are the teams that rank in the top six nationally in 20-plus yards. They rank number six, number 49, number two, number three, number four, and number one of 10-plus yards or more. So that's telling me that they're also good at those intermediate plays outside of Liberty, but Liberty's Liberty. Liberty, Liberty, Liberty. (laughs) (laughs) Not sponsoring the show. Nebraska ranks number 77 in the nation in 10 plus or more, which means they rank number 77 for the 10 to 19 range. Yeah, and that's like worse than mm-hmm. more than half of college football in this in this ranking, correct? Yes, it yeah, is. Because you're of 130, 77 of 130? Yeah. Yes. Horrendous. Horrendous. When you're talking about, that means that all of their explosive plays of 20 yards or more are legit, like 20 yards or more. So I was trying to look at, okay, well, where do we fit in then? We don't fit in with those top teams in terms of what our offense is doing. So I looked at teams within that range, that, that 77 ranking and the 10 plus yard plays. Those teams, those teams that have, so Nebraska has 150 of those on the year. These teams have between 149 and 152. Okay. Texas State, Louisiana Tech, Tulane, Missouri, Texas, New Mexico State, South Florida, and Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech just fired their coach. I'm pretty sure Texas is going to. One of those teams has a winning record, Missouri 6 and 5. Everybody else 3 and 8, 3 and 8, 2 and 9, 4 and 7, 1 and 10, 2 and 9, 5 and 6. That's where Nebraska fits in. If you want to know why I'm not impressed by the the progression and the gains that this offense has made, it's right there. It's because we don't fit in with where we've grown as an offense we fit in with what's still holding us back we're three and eight because that's what we are that's where we fit in that like we are an anomaly at the top but in that middle range where where we truly live we're not in a lot we blend in we fit in with the rest we are a legit three and eight team we're a dysfunctional offense what you're saying is there are other teams who similarly struggle with the things that nebraska similarly struggles with yes they struggle to be good at those intermediate plays, and they struggle to win games. Are they also succeeding in the twenty-plus area? I didn't go that far because I like I went cool. like so I said, your I, points <laughs> null and void. In my- <laughs> no, my point is is that Nebraska can be an explosive offense. Yeah, we yeah. can we can have these massive plays. We can do those all fucking day. It's not gonna win us games. Sure, it is not the thing that we need to make us successful. What we need is to be able to rip off the 10 to 19 yards. We need to be able to stay on rhythm. We need to be able to, again, take what the defense gives us, just establish long drives of more than, you know, three yards for seven or three plays for 75 yards. Like, we need to sustain drives that give our defense a break. We need to have drives where we can learn more about our our defensive opponents so that we know where to attack them. Sure. Anyway, all that said, Iowa, Iowa's defense ranks very, very similar to Wisconsin. If our offense can sustain drives, you know, the way they looked against Wisconsin as opposed to, say, you know, fucking Minnesota, yeah. that's, that's where we have a chance to put up points sure. against this team. Yeah. So I love the explosiveness. It's fun to see Torrey go off for 40, 50, 60 yards. 
it's fun to see Allen get these huge 30, 40-yard catches. It amounts to jack shit unless you can actually sustain it Yeah. Um, with the smaller yards. Sure. So, anyway, all that said, I was very good at stopping the explosive plays, just like all the other defensive we defenses that we've played in the Big Ten. I do fully expect us to get our explosive plays. My question is, what else can we do? Sure. Can we can we get the puzzle pieces in between? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I think that's all really great insight as far as where the struggles have been on this team, that you do feel as though that little gap between, you know, running the ball, getting three or so yards, four yards on a run, and then having to hit a big explosive play to keep a drive alive. That's not a sustainable way to live. If Nebraska plays the same game that they played against Wisconsin, I'm more confident going into this game than I was before watching Nebraska play Wisconsin. Yeah. Nebraska's defense. Sorry. Nebraska's defense. Iowa's offense. What do you have? What do you have? What about, what? wait, what? Yeah, Nebraska's defense going into this game. Oh, didn't we already cover that? No. We covered Iowa's defense. Oh, shit. Hang on. I've been folding up all my notes. Oh, we didn't. Okay. No. Uh, (laughs) I would have skipped that segment. I was ready for predictions. Well, you could almost skip Iowa's offense (laughs) because everyone in Iowa has. Okay, here are my feelies. Nebraska's defense is going to bounce back in a big way. Great. Okay, but they're going to need to maintain energy throughout the game. That's going to be a big part of it. They're playing on a short week. They're playing after getting run over by Wisconsin. Uh, it's been a very long season. They've held up really well. We've always wondered if the dam was going to break. We started to maybe see some cracks, you know, especially with injuries kind of piling up there. If they can if they can show up for this game, Iowa's offense, just they're not great. They are they play complementary football, right? Like they play to the strength of the team, which is the defense. They do just enough to win close games. The thing that worries me about Nebraska's defense against Iowa's offense is the way that the teams kind of line up with how they play games. Nebraska struggles in the middle act in the second and third quarters. That's where they give up the most points. We see like sort of a um, a second act slouch mm-hmm. is what I would call it. So on average, Nebraska's giving up a combined 14.4 points in the second and third quarters, which is compared to an average of only nine points in the first and fourth combined. Okay, Iowa's offense scores a combined average of 16.2 points in those middle quarters, and then in the bookends, they score about 9.3. So Iowa really kind of slowly warms up to a team. They kind of figure out, you know, what it's going to take to to put up points. They do it. They get their points in the middle, and then they essentially ice the game away. Nebraska more or less does the same thing. They, They come out high energy. They blow it in the middle, and then they kind of buckle down at the end. And so just the way that these two teams sort of feel other teams out, the way that they give up points, it doesn't bode well for Nebraska. I was also very good at at coming from behind late in the fourth quarter if they need to. They did it against Penn State. I feel like if Nebraska is going to play a solid defensive game, it needs to come early. They need to have a double-digit lead going into the fourth. Otherwise, I don't see this one going our direction. I think it's a great point to bring up. Scott Frost himself even said the last five minutes of the second quarter and the first five minutes of the third quarter are the most important 10 minutes of the game for Nebraska. He said that overall, but defensively, absolutely. You've got to keep that intensity throughout. The season is over after Friday, so you hope that they can keep that intensity, that there's there's not this look into the finish line that there is still a marathon to be ran before Friday's game is over and that that intensity hangs up there. You don't have guys thinking about next season or the offseason or whatever it happens to be. 
the fact that they line up like that does kind of worry you in a sense where it is, yeah, hey, everyone's playing to their average and averages tell us Iowa's going to excel in an area where Nebraska doesn't. And, and that's a scary thought. Yeah. And I look at it as Nebraska plays, their defense plays with energy. Yeah. Right. They come out fired up and ready to go. Yeah. And so they shut teams down, but then they, they burn out their sprinters. Yeah. And then towards the end of the game, when they need to buckle down and focus, they can. But again, it's just that middle that middle portion of the game. Just got to lock it up. Yeah. So anything else when it comes to Nebraska's defense against Iowa's offense? I hope we see the bounce back game. Yeah. I don't have very much else to add to that. I think we I think we covered it all. Great. Well, it is now time for this week's Sportsman Sip. Before we reveal our predictions, we'd like to raise a glass to our opponent and sample a beer local to their university. This week, we are drinking Hoktoberfest, a lager-style Marzen from Back Pocket Brewing in Coralville, Iowa. Hoktoberfest comes in at 5.3% ABV and features a damn near-perfect pun. You know, one of the things that I start to think of is we, a few episodes ago, we sampled Zipline's Jilled Nebraska Brew, the Hale Ale from Hale Varsity and Kincader, and Infusion's Walk on Red Ale. I want to see more Nebraska brewers get involved with Nebraska football. I want to see more of them lean into that. There's so many puns to be had. There's so many jokes to be made. And there's a lot of great ways to get fans involved in craft beer. If they would just make a beer for the fans, that's something like a cream ale or a light lager or something like that, and just name it after something Husker football. Yeah, it's that is the door that it opens it up to to the fan base that yeah. welcomes people into just a, you know another world that they maybe aren't haven't explored or you know haven't had interest in. Yeah, and then they realize like it's hey you know it's a nice place to be. That's yeah. and that's why we started this podcast too, and that's why we married these two things is because we Absolutely. recognized that that was there. And I think with with alcohol sales starting to come into college stadiums, you're definitely gonna see. You're definitely going to see more of that. Yeah. Those those two industries supporting each other, especially yeah. in Nebraska. Absolutely. And maybe Nebraska will figure things out with NIL where they take the alcohol thing out of it if guys are of a legal drinking age and let them advertise or let them lend their, you know, their image to a, a local beer because I think that would just be awesome. Yeah. Who wouldn't drink cam juice? If it was, <laughs> I'm just saying, like, if it yeah, was a beer, that's, that's not the yeah. worst name a for juicy, a beer. A juicy IPA. Oh, like candy. a hazy? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I'd well, buy it up. I'd buy it up. Well, cheers to Back Pocket Brewing and cheers to the... Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, Drew, your too early prediction for Nebraska versus Iowa was 21-17. I'd love to hear your prediction and whether or not that has changed. Okay, I will say I didn't steer too far away from that score. Probably if I was being realistic and honest, I would say that's pretty close to to where my mind is with what this what this game will shake out to be. We both predicted a 4-point spread and Nebraska opened as a 4-point amazing. I mean, we're living in the future. We're pretty much Nostradamus. geniuses. Yep. Yep. So, Did you say Huskerdamus? Huskerdamus. <laughs> no, but oh. that, it works much better than what I said, which was just the name of the guy. Ah. Okay. Prediction time. So in honor of Thanksgiving, here's a list of 10 things I predict I will be thankful for on Black Friday. Great. Number 10, Samori Torre. Nebraska's offense was explosive this year, as we talked about, and Torre was the guy lighting the fuse more often than anyone else. He won't break 1,000 yards on the season, but I predict he will give fans one last touchdown celebration in the in the Scarlet and Cream. Thank you, Samori, for a fun year. We will see you on Sundays. 
Number nine, Austin Allen, another future NFL pass catcher. I predict I will be thankful uh, getting to watch him set the Nebraska single-season record for receiving yards by a tight end, a well-deserved honor that we all hope Fedoni breaks next year. Number eight, Garrett Nelson. I would be thankful for just one sack, but Garrett will still notch one and a half because that's just what he does. Blaze Gunnarsson will contribute the other half, and we will all be thankful to get a glimpse of the defense's future spending time in Iowa's backfield. Number six is a backup quarterback, Logan Smothers, starting in place of the injured QB1, Adrian Martinez. The dude is nothing if not tough as nails. I'll be thankful that he comes out of this game with all his body parts intact. Oh, and uh, over 250 total yards with zero turnovers. I'll be thankful for that, too. Number five, Nebraska Craft Beer. We have enjoyed a lot of top-notch Nebraska beer throughout the season, and that beer has often consoled and comforted me through some very tough losses. I will be thankful to kick back a few more on Friday, regardless of the outcome. Number four, all the young running backs. I predict no less than 12 running backs will notch a carry in this one, and 11 of them will be freshmen. I will be thankful to see at least one of those young backs churn out some difficult yards while thinking about the bright future they have. This year, I am thankful for the stable we have. Next year, I'll be thankful for the stability it will bring. Number three, the other running back. No matter who it is running against us in the black and gold, they will not be named Braylon Allen, and for that I say thanks. (laughs) Number two, Coach Chenander. I will be thankful to see his defense rebound for a gutty performance from a unit missing some key pieces. I will also be thankful when he swears a blood oath to stay at Nebraska and not go coach somewhere else. Number one, lastly, I guarantee I will be thankful that I am not an Iowa fan. Sorry, other Ben. No matter what happens, above all else, I am thankful for Nebraska football and thankful to have been raised to love this team unconditionally. I predict I will be thankful to have survived another losing season, thankful for moving away from it at last and forward towards the future, Thankful for all the effort, all the players, all the cathartic experiences they provided, both the good and the bad. I will be thankful for the eternal hope that springs in my heart despite all else. Whenever I think of this team, I will be thankful for a 24-14 victory. Ooh, increasing your spread. Yeah, bet on it, baby. Do it. Throw some money down. Cross the river. Oh. Well, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that you're able to see the 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 light side, see the good. I had and to I had to come back for for the last game. I have to correct my mind uh, before we enter the off season. Although I will say I'm like the most wonderful, hopeful off season person there is. Oh yeah, I drink. You're an I undefe- drink the Kool Aid. Undefeated in yeah. the off season. Yeah. Oh and man, and once once they start announcing these coaches, and we yeah. start looking at you know what the. When we find out that Dan Mullen's coming here to call this offense. I don't think it'll be Dan Mullen. <laughs> I but I think be, it will but... be a, a great hire, whoever yeah. it happens to be. Oh, yeah. I can't wait. As I cannot wait. it's not Mark Helfrich. Because then I'm <laughs> yeah. just like, all right, well, I guess we're going same shit different day. Yep, pretty much. So, all that all that CEO business and trying to grow and all that sort of stuff, that just out the window. Yeah. All right. Well, I predicted a 31-27 to 27 Nebraska victory again. Both of us thinking a four point spread. Yeah, I did. I did change a little bit. Changes growth. Yes, maybe this is the wrong kind of growth. <gasps> no. The last time I drove through Iowa was to and from Decorah to visit Toppling Goliath for the 2021 Assassin Imperial Stout release. On the highway heading back to Nebraska, I passed an RV fully decked out as a mobile vasectomy clinic. <laughs> 
Imagine, if you will, a Red Cross mobile blood donation vehicle, but for snipping the balls off of Iowa farmers instead of saving victims of natural disasters. The RV had a flashy yellow and black vinyl wrap on it, advertising their service. It was very clear which fan base they were targeting. It can't go without saying that the cost of the procedure was only $699, which for anyone who has inquired to the stationary doctor is quite the steal. Now, it's no secret that on this podcast, fuck Iowa. (laughs) But I wouldn't say my dislike extends to the eradication of future Hawkeye fans by performing traveling nut cuts on the sides (laughs) of highways at discounted rates. I would hope for the unfortunate victim's sake, the RV at least stops moving. Not because of the doctor's steady hands on the bumpy road, but because I know how Iowa drivers are, and that's one accident I'd like to avoid. Instead, I want Iowa Hawkeyes fans to stop reproducing the old-fashioned way. You know the kind I'm talking about? I'm talking about not being able to get it up because they drank themselves silly after a 3-8 team missing 80% of their offensive staff obliterates them. The only thing that could make that moment better is knowing we spoiled some Iowa fans' chance at getting lucky on him and his special someone's romantic trip to Indianapolis when Nebraska knocks Iowa out of contention for the division. Look, if this ship is going to sink, I'm going down with it. And if I'm going down, I'm going to do my damnedest to see Iowa go down with it. Give me the scurs in a why the fuck not 38-17 Go big motherfucking red. The blowout. A 21-point victory. And almost 40 on the board. Yeah. Yikes. I I mean, I think Nebraska has a legitimate shot at this game. If you had asked me during the bye week if they did, I would say I need to see them play Wisconsin to understand where they are mentally, where this staff is, where – they are with play calling and all of that sort of stuff. There were a couple of snafus like the Omar Manning motion that wound up in a high snap that Martinez had doinked off his helmet. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff like that. I think that gets worked out in this week leading up to the game. The defense still showed up. I think they're going to be focused and driven and they want to get this last win to prove that. Yes, we've been saying it all season. Frost has that they they're more than close. They are a much better team than their record shows. At the end of the day, you are your record. You are a 3-8 and eight team. But let's be a 4-8 and eight team that demolishes Iowa and just embarrasses them. You can be an Iowa fan listening to this, and you can give a shit after the game if Nebraska walks away with a loss. I don't care. I'm not giving up hope on my team. Not during the holiday. Not the last game of the season. Not moving into a tumultuous offseason where we don't know what's going to happen with the players retaining, entering the portal Coaches leaving. Who knows? I don't know. You're not going to catch me being pessimistic at this point of the season. You're going to catch me hoping for the best. And the best thing would be beating Iowa by more points than Iowa beat us the past six years combined. I will also not be pessimistic. I'll be realistic. Hey, you still. Uh, I'm, I I'm still so did surprised. predict a big win. I know. Yeah. Ten- no, I, I am. I'm in the same boat. I'm in the same. I'm in the same boat. I'm, I'm unhappy not just with the results, but with where they've allowed my mind to go yeah. with this team. And just, uh, it's hard to it's hard to look at the numbers and to be a fan of this team yeah. and to hold on to hope. It just is. I'm yeah. envious of people who can can do that. Sure, that's not that's not how I'm programmed, I guess. But like I said, I'll I will bounce back. Also, in my in my hopefulness, I'm gonna force it. I'm gonna force it here. I hope we win. I do. And I and honestly, like, not just I hope we win. I do actually think we have a shot at this game. Just yeah. like every other game. Just like every other game we played. Well, um, to be fair, I didn't think we had a shot 
against Wisconsin. I didn't think it was going to be that kind of a game. I know I I know I predicted a four game win by Nebraska because it was one of those things where four it's game like, win we just get or, automatic me, four. It was going to be a four, <laughs> a four point win against Wisconsin, but it, it was one of those things where it's like I'm being hopelessly mm-hmm. opt or like hopefully optimistic, as opposed to in this game I genuinely think we can walk away with a win. And if we can walk away with a win, why can't we walk away proving that there's more to this team than the wins and loss column? I don't believe in moral victories, and this this wouldn't make up for any of these losses. I'd still rather have the, you know, the Minnesota game back on there, the Purdue game, the oh, Illinois right. game, all those games back as wins. But I think if we can go out strong on this one and, and embarrass Iowa, that'll do a little bit of good for my heart. It, yeah, no, I agree. I agree 100%. All right, before we say goodbye, we want to give you the final chance to win our season-long prize package, including a game-used Nebraska football and local brewery swag. For this week's entry, email wannabewalkons at gmail.com with your final score prediction of the season. Will the Huskers come out on top against Iowa or fall short? Let us know. Remember, there's only one entry per episode, and you don't have to be correct to win. If you're a new listener or haven't entered for our earlier episodes, you can do so until we give the prize away. Just make sure to include your first and last name in your email entry. That does it for this week. We want to thank everyone who tuned in to this week's episode. If you have anyone who you think would enjoy a listen, we would truly appreciate your recommendation. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Wannabe Walk-Ons and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Remember to do your part. Drink local beer wherever you are. You can find more information on Scratchtown Brewing Company by visiting scratchtown.beer. Tune in next week as we give away the season-long prize package, share our thoughts on the Iowa game, and look back on the 2021 season with some immediate perspective. What are we going to drink? Probably beer. Mm, That sounds good. Well, thanks for listening, and as always, drink Big Red. Drink Big Red.